0: Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when his disciples came to him and asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? And instead of a date or an exact checklist, Jesus gave them a description of the fear that was to come. He gave them warnings to heed about the temptations his people would face, and he gave them examples to follow to teach them how they should wait. He taught them that the Son of Man will arrive unexpectedly, that he will return in surprising glory at a time that nobody is able to predict. Like a servant who doesn't know when his master will be back to check on him, like a sheep who doesn't know when the shepherd will return, Jesus told his disciples that we can't prepare for him to return at a certain time. Instead, he instructed them to be ready for his return at all times. Our Savior made a promise. The dawn is coming, and our teacher gave us a warning. Are you ready?
1: Well, good morning, church. It is, my name is Randy Hunt, and it is a great day for me personally to be here. Because this is the first time that I've been able to uh, bring a morning message here at LAFC since my car accident in May. And it's a miracle that I can even be here this morning. Besides God's work of healing in my life and my wife Leanne, uh, this congregation has really played a major role in our recovery. We received so many cards from you with powerful words of comfort that was comfort over us that lifted us up just when we needed it. The meals delivered to us helped Leanne to focus her attention on my recovery. Several of you provided rides and other acts of service to us that made it so much easier to go through it. We literally felt lifted up by this congregation. And in a strange way, when I was sitting over here two weeks ago, I thought, about what this congregation was doing for us came across my mind. And I guess maybe it's all the years I worked with teenagers that this thought came across and it's called body surfing. And I know that there's probably a lot of you have no clue what body surfing is. So I have a a little clip here to show you what body surfing is. Now, we weren't doing this. But what that did show me is we felt very, very much you lifting us up to God during our time. And Leah, I want to say thank you. Thank you for what you did for us. And let's pray and thank God for what he's going to say to each of us this morning. Lord, To God be the glory. Lord, forgive us for times that we are so neglectful in how we live our Christian lives. And Lord, I know that it took a long time for me to finally come to that place where I realize I need to live Without complacency, but preparedness. And it's very easy, Lord, for us in this day and age to be complacent and not realize that there is going to come a day. Maybe it's going to be when you appear. Or for some of us, it's going to come sooner than that. In a way, in an unexpected way, something happens to us that we weren't prepared for. So, Lord, we can't take for granted how we're living our lives today. So, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Challenge us. Forever, Lord, may we be changed by your spoken word. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1970s, I can remember all of the charts that were handed out, and churches were using them to describe end times. There were films that were produced, Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder, shows late, movies like that. And it was during those times that that thousands of people were coming to Christ because of what they were seeing, what could happen if the end came. And you know, those days have since gone. And probably those transparencies are never being brought out again because who uses transparencies anymore? But I think of uh, how the conversations in coffee shops would, would go towards, are you prepared? I mean, people, it was on their mind. And I think that we need to understand that this series that we've been going through is not just to be for good preaching or good teaching, to make us smarter, wiser, but hopefully it'll make you transformational. That you will be ready for whatever God has in store for us in the future. And so as I look at this passage this morning, uh, if you wanna turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 25, the ushers are gonna come forward and they're going to give you uh, a Bible. If you don't have one, feel free to have that as, take that as a gift and take it home with you. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you can just use your phone. Tap on more under that Bible app and then tap events and then LEFC, And you'll have all the verses that I'm going to be using this morning. Before we look at that passage, let me just give you a summary. So as we've come to this final scene in the Olivet Discourse spoken by Jesus during Passion Week, the content of this discourse is found in the two chapters that we've been working through: Matthew chapter 25, 24, and 25. His focus is on the prophecy of future events. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 35, Jesus provides an account of events that would accompany his return as the Son of Man. In Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 36 through chapter 25, verse 30, Jesus is providing us lessons on watching, waiting, and being prepared for his second coming. Jesus used two parables now to illustrate, as we're coming to this conclusion, two parables to illustrate being ready. And last week, Tony took us through the second parable emphasizing investment of of our lives in kingdom work as we prepare for his coming. A key thought from last week that I received was, are you ready? Are you stewarding well what God has given you and the relationships that God has given you? You know, that was a great challenge, and I hope you personally took it to heart and thought, am I really stewarding well what God has given me? And uh, are you stewarding your relationships well? Do people know within your oikos, that relational world of 8 to 15 people, do they know that you have this relationship with Christ? Hopefully, you're not going incognito and just being one of these, well, I'm a Christian wannabe, but you're really showing through your life that you are a child of God. And so when we look at this now final uh, passage, uh, final, uh, it's not the end of our series, that's next week, but coming to the conclusion of the parables, let me set the scene of what we're going to read. So Jesus coming to earth, and it was the first time in obscurity. He was born in a stable, placed in a manger, not at some gigantic hospital, not in some big with all these lights and stars of, I mean, many stars other than the one that was pointing the way. It wasn't this dynamic introduction except to the shepherds who heard the heavenly hosts. But he came that first time in an obscure way the second time he's going to come in glory, so let's go, let's turn in our Bibles there to Matthew chapter uh, twenty-five, beginning with verse thirty-one. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not, did not look after me. They, will also answer, they also will answer, Lord, well, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Did you see at the very conclusion of this why it's important that you and I take very seriously about the way we live our life? Because one day there will be the separation, and we will receive the fruit of what, we have, of what we've done in this life, one into eternal life, another one into eternal punishment. And when I look at this passage and I'm thinking of this particular scene, as we said the first time he came in obscurity, the, first time he, the second time he's going to come in glory. It says he will come as the son of man accompanied with all the angels and he will sit on his throne of glory. That whole expression of the son of man was Jesus identifying himself as the Messiah. His disciples even understood When he asked him the question, Jesus asked him the question, who do you all say that I am? And that's found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This particular scene is also found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. as Daniel is prophesying of something in the future. And he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So here comes this point, and the scene is he's coming in glory. The angels are coming with him. And he is the son of man. Imagine what that's going to look like. I mean, some of the most beautiful events that we've seen is going to be nothing compared to what's going to ha- happen at this time when his glory shines and he comes with his angels. Yes. And he comes and he sets on his throne. And it's interesting. I was reading, uh, doing some research on this particular passage and it came across a couple of Descriptions uh, about uh, a, actually two powerful symbols about setting on his throne. And I want to share those with you. Setting down betrays his work and mission are complete. A king does not set on his throne while he's still establishing his kingdom, he sets on his throne after his kingdom is secured. Hebrews 1 3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's finished. What he came to do on this earth is finished. And so he now is seated on the throne. But the second symbol is one of authority thrones represent seats of power it represents authority of rules of to rule and reign and king jesus now sits on his throne yes, he does. what a powerful scene what a powerful picture and standing before him <clears throat> are all of the nations and what is about to happen is not that the nations are going to be judged. It's the people. So every tr- tongue, every tribe, every country, every nation cannot say that they have not heard because as you've heard in previous uh, sermons, that it makes it very clear that one of the clear indications of when Jesus will come is that the, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. And so now that has arrived and all of the people are gonna stand before him. And the process that is described in verses 31 through 34 of separating sheep from goats is where those who have put their faith and trust in Christ alone are called sheep and they'll go to the right side to those who are unbelievers, those who have lived their lives apart from God are going to find themselves on the left side of the throne. This illustration of using sheep and goats would have been very familiar to, to those back in that time. For during the day, the sheep and the goats would, would graze together. But at night, the shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats and so here he's describing an event that to a shepherd he understood to others maybe who were not in a a farming community would not know that this was actually a very normal process that was happening so sheep and goats would be together during the day but in the evening when that time came he would separate in that time when we are, people are standing before God, before the Son of Man, before the Messiah, one of the things that he will do, he will tell sheep to the right, goats to the left, and nobody, nobody has a chance to change it. Because the only one who can make the decision who's right who's left is King Jesus I can't imagine what it must what must have gone gone through the minds of people as they were standing watching this happen but something I distinctly remember when I was in elementary school the first time that two teams were going to be chosen and so there were two captains in each Captain took time to say, uh, I want you, and the other one say, I want you. And I remember how I was feeling every time another, I was thinking, I'm gonna be next. Only to hear somebody else's name called. Now I realized that it wasn't because I was, I wasn't chosen because of popularity, or I wasn't chosen because of some special skill. It was just a, a moment but can you imagine how you might feel if you're standing before God and he tells you to go to the right or he tells you to go to the left. And if you were told to go to the left, you have no chance, no opportunity to say, well, but God, look, I uh, did all these things and didn't you see what I did and, on and on it goes, they haven't a chance. It's done. It's over. Well, you may be thinking, what have people done that causes them to be placed in one of these groups? Separation will be term, determined by our actions or lack thereof because the sheep, they did, but didn't know it. To the goats, they didn't do anything. And so a clear distinction is made. So the question that comes to mind, have you ever considered that your actions have eternal consequences? In this text, it's clear that what we do in this life matters. This parable Jesus is illustrating between those who have received him by faith and those who rejected him. So there's a very clear mark difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Jesus is not saying in this parable that doing good works is what gets us into heaven. He is telling us that good works are evidence of true discipleship and genuine faith. Good works is not the cause of salvation, but it is the effect of salvation. People who place their faith in Christ will be identified by their fruit. And every word and every action is fruit from our hearts. When you read Galatians five nineteen through 26, you see a clear description of someone whose heart is in Christ and whose heart is not. The, it says in Galatians 5, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he changes it, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Can you see the difference? Goats are very self-centered, self-focused. Sheep have a compassion, a love that identifies them, which should not surprise us because Jesus himself is marked by love. And when you go on to look at the person whose life is, is, uh, who's living their life without Christ, what is do- not done what is done is not done out of love for God. That many who end up on the left side of their throne will be people who might have professed Jesus, but their life demonstrated no real faith. Example, every Sunday morning, there are people in this room may have said they're Christians, but by the very example of the way they live their life each day, There's no fruit of that. There could be those who um, they have put their faith and trust in certain religious rites, being told that they would ensure one's future in heaven, only to find themselves on the left side of the throne. Some might have followed certain, um, or excuse me, some people who attend church, but spend the rest of their life living for themselves will be found on the left side. Because you see what happens six and a half days of the week. is not different than what happened. It's much different than what happens on Sunday morning. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus addresses people who for some reason have put their faith in things they've done. When he says, not everyone who, in Matthew seven twenty-one to 23... Those who have done all these things, but putting their trust in what they're doing to be what is going to be pleasing to God, and they miss the mark. A clear difference between sheep and goats is a love for others. If you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12, you'll you'll see where Jesus, where it's being clearly pointed out in John's writing that there needs to be this love for one another. Dear friends, he said in verse seven, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world How you and I treat others is how we treat God. When I love somebody, I'm loving them in a Jesus kind of love. And they, I'm being his actual visual representation to another human being of Christ. Loving them, showing them how much God cares about them. In Matthew chapter 25, in verse 34 through 36, I see Jesus teaching his disciples that demonstrating mercy, kindness, and generosity will lovingly and willingly do whatever it takes to help out another person in true need. Not because they must, but because they're living out the new nature of caring for one another. Because the way we love others, especially the least of these, even those who are hard to love, matters. It matters because it makes us distinct. In John chapter 13 through 35, 1335, Jesus makes it perfectly clear that by this will all men know if you are my disciples, he said, if you have loved one for another. If you want to know, how will I know? Or how can I know? is ask yourself the question, how am I loving another human being? Do I see it's a way in which to love them the way Jesus loves them? And so stop and think about it this morning. Does your life show as an example a life of compassion? A life that cares about people, all people, regardless of what they look like or what country they come from. I remember my trip to India in 2016. My first stop was at a leper colony. I must admit, when I got out of the car and I was walking up towards the colony, I was taken back by the people I was seeing that was so disfigured by leprosy. And the the man that I was with told me, he said, I want you to uh, pray. I'm going to go over here on the other side um, and um, I'm going to be praying for people. We're going to give them blankets. And so I want you to pray for each of these people, each of the lepers. I came up to the first one. Some of her nose was missing and um, she had only nubs for and her fingers, and I just automatically put my hand out and put it on her shoulder, and I began to pray for her. And as soon as I finished praying, I handed a blanket to her. And the woman who looked there so much in pain and struggling and not wanted or needed, all of a sudden had somewhat of a smile on her face and I was taken back by that and that went on and on and on and no one had ever told me, listen, you shouldn't touch them because you might get leprosy. As we got back in the car, I was taken to Matthew chapter 25. This is whatever you do, the least of these you've done unto me. And I understood that day. That little leper lady, the first one I prayed for. She was the least of these. And as I prayed for her, I saw that change. I'm so thankful that I wasn't told exactly what I was supposed to do, that what happened next became the fruit of my own life. I loved because he loves me. And that's the way we should be. That is the mark. That's what makes us different. So why is there such a surprise by both of those who represent sheep and goats? For sheep, their lives were marked by genuine faith that resulted in the fruit of good works. They had not been keeping record, nor expecting praise because of the love they showed to others. They were very much unaware that they were doing anything unusual. On the other hand, The goats were caught off guard as well. They did all those things in a self justifying way. The very things they were doing is what they were counting on to get them into heaven. So Jesus is drawing them to those times they did not reach out. This leads them to ask this question, or leads me to ask this question What is revealed when we are off guard or unaware? What is the fruit of your life? Because when we are caught off guard, that really reveals ourselves. This text comes not in a, our remembered actions, but in our unconscious reactions or instinctive unplanned responses because that's who we are in Christ. Christ. You might be thinking, when does this judgment take place? You've heard throughout this series, the most important thing is not the win, but are you ready? Are you prepared? On May 19th of this year, I could have met the Lord that day. And everything that I would have hoped to try to do before Stand before God, uh, I have no chance to change. It's done. So, if you're counting on there being that day when hey, it's in the di- uh, long distance future, you'll change things then. My friend, it might all be over tomorrow. So, it does make a difference how you're living your life today. I remember a plaque that said, live as though Jesus is coming back today, but plan as though he's not coming back for 100 years. That's how we should live. Every simple act of service for one another is doing it unto the Lord. And when you love others, you're loving him. And it's by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father I pray for every person here this morning whether they're in this room or they're watching live streaming or they're hearing this on a radio Lord we may have all been guilty in some ways of thinking that we have plenty of time to be able to right some wrongs. That we begin to bow at your feet and ask, Lord, not only for your forgiveness, but for you to give us strength to help us to live as you did, to help us to live well by loving well. And Lord, I pray this morning that if we're here with unsure. Of where we will spend eternity. Lord, I pray that they're never going to forget this morning, realizing it's today. It's today we need to make sure that we're ready for when you come. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, church, let's stand together. Let's close our time by committing to be ambassadors of this love to to the people that don't know our Jesus, the people that are on your heart, you're burdened for after the past week of family dinners. Let's commit to being ambassadors, to showing this love, to speaking Jesus to the people that he puts in front of us, the people in our lives. Let's show this love.
2: Present.
1: Let me close by going back to 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 because I think this is, this is a text we need to live out dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God because God is love God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When you love, you're loving Jesus in that other person. The true church is marked by compassion. And I'm so grateful for the compassion that has been demonstrated to us. First by him and then by you. This week, love well. You're dismissed.